Good stuff. Do take your seats. Super. Good. Thanks, band. Good work. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Right. Hello. <laughs> I've got my Christmas jumper on. <laughs> as I said last week, there's nothing you can do about it. Christmas is coming. It's going to happen. You might as well celebrate it anyway. Uh, and also, on a more kind of you know serious faith-filled moment, uh, this is Advent. We are starting the celebration of one of the most significant events in the Christian calendar. You know, the birth of Jesus. God on earth. This is, this is why I get excited about Christmas. Yes, I like the presents. But actually, yeah, it's, it's about Jesus. So, uh, you know, in the ebb and flow of a year, to actually set yourself up for a great month of celebrating that and getting our eyes on him, it's got to be good, right? Yeah. It's good, it's good, it's good. Uh, as a side note, nothing to do with what I'm speaking about. The Are You Sitting Comfortably posters which are in the toilet are genius, particularly for the ladies. I, th- I think it's just advertising that. It's just, you know, we were, that was just a, a stroke of genius by Kylie putting those in the loos. I think that is clearly the way forward. <laughs> Gets everyone's attention. I think we've had more people who don't come to church sign up for the Are You Sitting Comfortably th- than ever before. So, something's working. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> good. Anyway, right, so what are we doing today? Oh, yes, Devoted Series. We are talking today about devoted to generosity. Yes, it is the money talk. Yes, you can nudge the person next to you and say, I told you we should have stayed at home today. All of that is okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> we are talking about devoted. And this series, Devoted to, what we're doing is, if you're, you're new with us, we've missed a few weeks, we are looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47, and we're just kind of really discovering and saying, well, what did the first disciples get up to? You know, they've just had this amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended. The resurrection has happened. What did they get up to? What did they do? What did their life look like? And we get this phrase, they devoted themselves to. They gave everything to. And what that was, it was both an overflow of their new heart for Jesus, for, for God, so it was an overflow deal. But also it was a deliberate action deal in terms of the things that they were doing. So we talk about they devoted themselves to uh, being together. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. You know, there's over 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. If somebody tells you something 500 times, you know they mean it, right? My wife reminds me of things constantly. I don't think we've got up to 500 yet, but when she repeats it, I know it's important. Yeah, <laughs> there's lots of wives going, yes, yes, this is how this works in our house too. There's this, this, this repetition deal. There's also 500 verses on faith as well, just to, to their own. And then there's this, this thorny subject of money, of generosity. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. Just put that in proportion, <laughs> just to let you do that. One in 10 New Testament verses is on money. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught is on money. 25% of all Jesus' teaching is on money. If we had one in four of our sermons on money, I don't think we would be accused of being like Jesus. 
I think we'd be accused of being something else. And people might not come one in four. You know? it's like, there's this whole deal going on. But in all of that teaching, all of that stuff that Jesus talks about on money, he never once asks for it. He doesn't say, hey guys, we're building a new wing on the synagogue. I need some money <laughs> to build that. He doesn't say, hey guys, you know what would be great is if I had a new chariot. And that would enable me to get out to the outer area just a bit quicker. I could do my rounds that bit faster. He doesn't say that. But there is this overflow heart deal going on with regards to that. And we see money talked about so often in the Bible, whether it's being used for worship in Exodus 30, or whether it's being used for more nefarious purposes in terms of bribing Delilah and Samson and that whole story there. It's, it's in the Bible, all the way through, right the way, linked through that. And we're going to talk about devoted to generosity today. Now, generosity overflows into far more than just money. Oh, I say it right at the start, okay? But in terms of a measure of your personal generosity, money is a good thing to talk about. It really is. It's a good measure. It's like a, a quantitative thing that you can put something on. Time and money are probably the two that you can say, hey, what about this? How does this work? Where am I putting my hat on this? Where am I kind of standing there? And I want to just start by saying, hey, guys, you are a generous church. You are an incredibly generous church. I said to this to the people in meeting one, I said to the meeting two, that the, the way that you um, serve, the hours that go into this place are amazing. I think there's over 170 people serve in some ways in this church. If we were a company, that would make us one of the larger employers in Norfolk. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it, when you think of it like that? It, it, it's just brilliant. It, it's wonderful to see it on a week-by-week -week basis. It's, it's humbling. I know the guys who lead worship, you know, they spend hours preparing for Sunday mornings. I know that, that we've got Team Latham at the back there today. Woo! <laughs> you know, sitting there serving. At, at, you were there yesterday, weren't you? Sitting here for Jack's wedding, just, just blessing him. And uh, here today, just the hours that go into this place. And that's just, just not on a Sunday. I know there's people who serve in the kitchen. There's, there's, just, there's areas all over the place where people give and give and give. It's so generous. It's lovely. I know in terms of financially, I don't know who gives what, because as elders we don't, but we do know that you are very generous. There's this amazing thing, you know, if you don't know our story, three years ago, three and a half years ago now, uh, we were um, taking up an offering to convert what you see around you now. And we took £400,000 in one week, which is incredible. It is incredible generosity. We've just had our special offering. Uh, just to say, I am speaking on generosity after our special offering very deliberately. Okay? That is, that's, a, that's a hard thing. I didn't want to be accused of all sorts of things. But, you know, we, we just want to say, hey, look, this is there. But the, the special offering stands at about £50,000 now, which is amazing generosity. It really is. It means we've paid off our loan uh, repayment for this year with no problem at all, which is just wonderful generosity. It really is. You are a generous church. There's always a but, though, isn't there? <laughs> but the question that I've been wrestling with this week, and it's one that I wrestle with personally, but it's one I think we wrestle with as a church, is, yes, we, we are a generous church, but do we have a culture of generosity? Do we have a culture of generosity? And the Bible is always our place, our standard, where we go to, and then we, we kind of work out from there and say, well, where are we at with regards to things? So we're going to read Acts 2, 42 to 46 in a moment. We're going to read Acts 4 as well. This culture of generosity, which was in the early church. So let's open our Bibles. We're going to be jumping around a little bit in the Bible, finding all sorts of fun things today. 
and we'll be in fun places later on. So, Acts 2, 42. <coughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And if we jump forward to uh, Acts 4, verse 32... Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need." John Set Stott says about these verses, he says, these are disturbing verses. <laughs> Do they mean that every spirit-filled believer and community will follow their example literally? There's a question for you. That's the question that uh, I've been wrestling with. That's the one that I've been looking at. And these verses, though, do describe this culture of generosity. Something happened to us this week which really threw me. It was actually last weekend. Really, really threw us. So um, my two boys have got some friends at school. Jez, the youngest one, you might know him. He's got some friends. And they're uh, Eastern European. So they, they come from a kind of a communist background, kind of brought up in that whole area. And they um, just appeared at our house Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. I can't remember when it was. Anyway, last weekend, they just appeared at our house, right? And they brought their bikes with them. And I watched them out of the window as they cycled onto our drive, turned their bikes over, took the little caps off, you know, the little tyre caps that they're protecting, took them off and put there and proceeded to walk up to our door, knocked on the door. I opened the door. They said, hello, we've come to use your bicycle pump. <laughs> A number of thoughts went through my head right there and then. But I was so shocked, and it was Karis actually, was just kind of like, well, there you go, there's the bicycle pump, and they, they pumped up their tyres, and off they went merrily. Now, what transpired is that during the week, they'd been describing to my youngest, Jez, the fact that they had new bikes for their birthday, uh, that they didn't have a bicycle pump. And Jez had just said, we've got a bicycle pump. He hadn't invited them round, okay? He hadn't said, come and use it. He just said, we've got one. And so they just rack up at our house, just uh, from a cultural point of view, they just think, hey, we, we can just come and share this. For, for me, you know, individualistic, only child Mark, what is going on? You haven't made an appointment. You've not asked. Where, where's the sign thing from your parents? What are you doing here? <laughs> it's just a bit mad. But that's a culture shift. Now, we, why is that so alien? Why is that so challenging? And why are these verses so... Yeah, why do we go, well, that can't mean that when we read it? Well, it's because we are children of our times. We are children of the society that we live in. And uh, there was a report just this week from the BBC that said, we live in the most extreme capitalist country in the world. In the world. That's saying something, isn't it? Now, there are lots of things about this that I could go into, and I'm not talking about any political structure being better than any other, particularly given what's happening in the next couple of weeks. 
It doesn't matter whether it's capitalist, socialist, uh, nationalist, let's go there as well, or liberalism. It doesn't matter which of those ists or isms you go with. Each one will have something against Christianity, or you will find it challenging to be a Christian in either of those societies. If you think that's not true, just go and visit one of those countries where one of those is an extreme, and you will find that that is the case. But what we do need to know is that we do live in a capitalist nation. For me personally, capitalism in its current form in the UK, probably Margaret Thatcher, 1980s, somewhere around there is when it kind of started. I know capitalism is older than that, uh, but just in terms of its present form, has led to this very individualistic nation right now. And that has what has fueled this, okay, in terms of where we're at. For me, I was born in 1976, I have known no other political system. And it doesn't matter which party has been in place, they have all utilised and used capitalism. Now, there is nothing wrong, per se, with capitalism. Let me just say that. Okay, let me just say that. There is nothing wrong with it as a political system, apart from the fact that it's not necessarily God's system, but none of them are, so that's fine. (laughs) But it is something that just can lead us into these places where we read verses like this, and it, it, it irks us, it challenges us, we goes, ah, that doesn't, doesn't quite fit. That doesn't quite work. The general election probably provides us with some very thought-provoking times right now. Because it, it, it's based upon all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Brexit being the primary one. But all sorts of things are in there. And it's interesting about how Christians have viewed elections through the years. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said around about 1950-something. Okay, you ready for this? When at the time of a general or local election, we are called to make a choice of candidates, do we find ourselves believing that one political point of view is altogether right and the other altogether wrong? If we do, I suggest we are somehow or another laying up treasures on earth. If we say that the truth is altogether on one side or the other, then if we analyse our motives, we shall discover it is because we are either protecting something or anxious to have something. This culture of individualism that our particular form of capitalism has brought about is leading to some very interesting scenarios. I look at marriage now, and a lot of uh, current marriages would not even share their finances, which is alien to kind of how I understand marriage. We, We share everything. You know, we, we, we steward what we have as, as wife and husband. It's, it's ours. Other marriages now would have individual bank accounts where, well, this is mine. I hear this phrase, it's, I'll buy you a coffee. What do you mean the wife is buying the husband a coffee? It's yours anyway. That's, that's crazy. So you've kind of got this scenario going on that this individual culture has bred. It's mine. It belongs to me. Now, for us, we steward our money, and it's actually our families. We're responsible for our family finance. We look after it on behalf of our children. Yes, it belongs to them as well. We look after it because if they were in charge, our house would be full of sweets and Pokemon. (laughs) (coughs) Pretty much is anyway, but, you know, be even worse. (laughs) But that's... We, we steward it as part of that, but we are part of a family. And that is what this passage in Acts 2 and 4 is describing. You see, what's going on here is this, this culture of the day didn't have a social care system. It didn't have a system where people were looked after in the same way we understand the state looking after people now. 
actually what it had was the family was responsible for taking care of the elderly, the family was responsible for taking care of the sick, the family was responsible for all of that areas. Now we just shove people in a care home or we kind of rely on the, the state to look after the sick. Well, actually, this was, this was the way it worked. If you, if you were sick or if you were destitute in the times where Acts 2 was written, you were on the streets, you were in trouble. Nobody was going to care for you. But what happens in the church here is the church starts treating everybody as part of a family. They start treating the, the widow, the sick, the elderly, who are not physically related as brothers and sisters, as part of their family, and they care for them in that way. This generosity is overflowing in that context. You see, within the family, you know, if you're a mum or a dad, you know that you are going to care for your children and you'll do whatever it takes. I know a story of a non-Christian guy, so this is a non-Christian family, okay, and his son got into incredible debt through gambling. He just racked up thousands and thousands of pounds worth of debt. And the dad, he didn't have a lot of money, but what he did too is he took out a loan and he repaid the son's debt. He took that debt upon himself and for the next 10 years he started paying it off. Even to the point where he had to work slightly longer into a retirement age. He worked until he was about 70. That's the world. How much more is the church meant to be this family, this generous place, part of a family where individualism doesn't abide, but actually this is ours and we're looking out for one another and we care in such a deep way. That culture of generosity that breaks through the times we live in. Now, bizarrely, what God does with this is that this culture of generosity actually breaks through into other places too. It actually breaks through into eternity. So a culture of generosity actually means that you have an eternal investment. So this eternal investment is just crazy really. And what we read is this in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 24. Let me read this for you. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In them, the light in you is darkness, but how great is the darkness. You see, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 19 talks about treasure on earth, and the word there is thesaurus. Yes, it is the word for that little book that's full of words. But actually, this word thesaurus means a place where you put your treasure. And what happens when you place your treasure on earth is that you start to put it in a place where rust and moth can get to it, where it can be destroyed. And it doesn't matter if your treasure is money. It doesn't matter if your treasure is your home, your children, your job. Yes, I did say children. Your ambition, position, possessions, or praise from people. It does not matter. If you're putting and relying on that, if you're putting in earth, it's going to fade away. In ancient times, they had the habit of burying their treasure in the earth. That was like the bank vault. They'd hide it in the earth. When people died, they also buried the treasure with them. 
We love Sutton Ho. How many people have been to Sutton Ho or Sutton Who, however you pronounce it? I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place, full of treasure. And um, one of the things that was buried there is this very famous helmet, a uh, beautiful work of art. They reckon there were over a thousand items buried with this king who was buried at Sutton Ho. And it, uh, it, over these thousand items, they estimate that in today's money, it would be about £1.2 million worth. So you're burying £1.2 million worth of stuff in the earth, okay, with somebody. So they think it's going to go to the afterlife. There's the replica of the helmet. What it actually looks like in the British Museum is this. It's a little bit different, isn't it? A little bit different. Rusted, corroded, damaged. It's been in the ground for a thousand years plus. It's just a bit of a mess. <coughs> Whatever you put in the earth, it will rust. We were on holiday uh, last year, uh, no, this year, gosh, when was it? This year, and we went to Kennedy Space Centre. And at Kennedy Space Centre, we went on this tour, and we were driving around, and we saw where Apollo 11 blasted off from, and it was, oh, it was amazing. And we went to where SpaceX is, and those of you who like that kind of stuff, that was pretty cool too. And we were kind of driving around all over the place. And the thing that you notice out there is there aren't very many fences. You'd think, you know, that'd be quite a big part of the infrastructure a lot of fences, and you'd probably expect to see a bunch of guys with very big guns. This is America, after all. Kind of, you know, walking around, patrolling everywhere. But the guide said, you know what? We have 3,000 security personnel on this base. That's quite a lot, isn't it? We don't pay any of them, because they're the alligators. <laughs> Serious, that's how they, that's how they protect it. Because, you know, people are not going to cross swampland <laughs> for several miles when there's 3,000 alligators there. It is a very secure place. But even there, it's not as secure as the place that is described in this passage, and that place is heaven. When you lay up treasures in heaven, they do not rust. When you lay up treasures in heaven, they do not rot. And nothing can get to them. They cannot be stolen. You do not need alligators. You've got God. <laughs> There's this sense here. And what's interesting about this, this passage is you've got this word cardia in there. And what it's describing in verse 21, your heart, is describing the center of your physical and spiritual being. Yes, I know for the doctors amongst you, your heart isn't right in the middle of you. But, you know, there's this sense, actually, of... It's your, your very center of your being. And what it says in this passage is if you, if you put your treasures on earth, what you are doing is you are connecting your heart, your very spiritual being, to earth. You are laying it there. You are connecting it to there. Whereas if you lay your treasures up in heaven, you are connecting your heart to that place. So the question is, where are you connecting your heart to? If I was to ask you, what's in your bank account, or what does your bank statement say, and where does the most money go, what would that say about where your heart is? Just turn to the person next to them and explain where your bank account details go. <laughs> no, don't do that. I just wanted to see the look on people's faces. It's great. It's just the sheer you know, horror. <laughs> it's the joy of being at the front. Anyway, so there's this, <laughs> this, 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 this says, we, you all know, if you were to look at your diaries, what would it say? about where you're putting your heart. There's that sense of, am I spending more money on Sky Sports subscription than I am in terms of giving to God? Wow, 
What does that say about your heart? I'm putting more time into running my children around, this is a difficult one, my children around to clubs than I am to serving God. Oh, there you go. That's a fun one, isn't it? Where is our heart? Because that's where your treasure is and vice versa. So it does raise a question, though. Why does God want your money and time? He doesn't need it, does he? He could just speak, even if he didn't have anything, right? He could just speak, and it would be. So he doesn't need it. This Christmas, my children are going to give me some presents. I know this because I ordered them on Amazon earlier this week. (laughs) I know the feeling. But on on Christmas Day, will that diminish their delight in giving me a present? No. It's all about just that blessing of giving it. They're expressing their love to me. It's the same with God. When we give him something that is his anyway, we're communicating love to him. We're expressing our love to him. He has given us everything. He gave us Jesus. The most valuable thing is the wrong word, but you you hear me here. He's a person, I know that. But out of everything in the universe, out of everything, he gave us Jesus. He's, He's priceless. The most valuable thing, person that the Father had, he gave to you. He is so generous. And we're meant to be like him. And we're also made in his image. We're able to be like him. There is that sense that we can pour out our hearts to that. This whole thing of a culture of generosity comes and flows from identity. I think people who grasp this concept, who grasp who they are in Christ, who understand they are sons and daughters of the living God, are the most generous people on the planet. They are, they are, and I know there are many of you in the congregation who are like this, who have got this. I'm going to offend two groups of people today. I'm going to offend those people who are generous already. And you'll come and say, well, I can't be any more generous. I had this in meeting one. I can't be any more generous. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I wasn't speaking to you. It's okay. I want you to actually help the rest of us. Just carry on being amazing. So I speak to you who are already generous. And I say, bless you. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Help us to be more generous. And then there's the group of people who are offended by this because you don't give anything. Or you know you don't give as much as you should. I don't mind offending you. (laughs) This is the sense of, hey, come on. When you grasp you are a son or daughter of a generous father, you can just pour out. As a father, I want to bless my children. I really do. But I've got a God in heaven who's a far better dad than me. Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We have a father who has demonstrated his generosity. We have a father who will look out for you. We have a father who meets your every need. We have a father who cares for you beyond any other thing in the whole universe. We have a father who has given you Jesus. I know there is story after story of provision in this church. Let me just share you one of mine. So we were in Ipswich. I'd just lost my job with a church. And we had exactly two months worth of mortgage payments in the bank account. Two months, and that was it. Just to make it more exciting, this was the recession. I worked in the construction industry. 
I hadn't worked in the construction industry for 12 months in the middle of a recession. So I had to find a CV, write a CV, and start applying for jobs in the vain hope that one job would come through and that we'd be able to pay our mortgage. I wrote to a, a, an old boss and a friend and I said, hey, would you mind being a referee on my CV? And so he said, yes, of course. He said, in fact, let me just have a word with the company that I'm working for right now. I got a phone call from the managing director, a chap called Peter, and he invited me to Norwich. Uh, we were living in Ipswich. He invited me to Norwich, and he took me out for lunch, a very nice pub by the river. And we spent an hour together, and he spent 55 minutes talking about the company and where it was going and what it was going to do, and five minutes offering me a job. <laughs> Middle of the recession. His company wasn't making lots of money. But he just said, here, for whatever reason, God, he offered me a job there and then. I started, so this is one month in, and you know when you start a new job, you don't get paid until the end of the month. Okay? So the timing was beautiful and perfect. I know there is story after story after story in this place of provision. I know God never, ever lets us down. He shares everything with us. There's a church in America called Bethel Church, which I think has grasped something of a culture of generosity that challenges me deeply on all sorts of levels. The church actually challenges me on many levels. One, their pursuit of miracles, which is relentless and amazing. The theology, which really makes me have to think (laughs) in lots of ways. But then there's this attitude towards money. Now, on the face of it, they kind of have a prosperity theology, on the face of it. Now, prosperity theology, what that means is basically that you give to get rewarded in this lifetime. So it's not about storing treasure up in heaven, it's about getting back immediately. It's like a slot machine. I give, cha-ching, I get back. (laughs) Annoyingly, that does happen. (laughs) I was speaking to somebody this week who had given away £2,000 and the next month got £240,000 back. Yeah, anyway, right. (laughs) But usually it's not a slot machine. If it was, our giving would be far higher, wouldn't it? (laughs) Okay, so it's not a slot machine, right? So we're not going with prosperity theology. But they do have this thing which is slightly interesting. Let me read you out one of their offering declarations. Are you ready? As we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favourable settlements, estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs. (laughs) If it ended there... I would be going, although I think I probably have prayed for all those things at some point in my life. This is what it says next. That I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. Has anybody not prayed for financial provision at any given point? Because that's all they're doing in the first part of that. I know the language makes us kind of go... But we've all prayed for money of some form, in some way, or provision, or a job, or whatever it is. And that's okay. You're allowed. 
But then they have this attitude of giving more than... It's amazing. And that overflows. Let me show you, tell you what this looks like. So they will have missionaries or guest speakers standing on the stage. And all of a sudden, people from the congregation, without being asked, will come and start laying money at their feet until there's like piles of cash just there. Without prompting... This isn't me saying, come on, let's do this now. <laughs> Without prompting, it just kind of happens. There are stories of people buying other people brand new cars because they want to bless them. There's story after story of just ridiculous financial giving between people, thousands of dollars at a time. You are a generous church, hear me here. But they have caught something as a cultural generosity which is amazing. We are called to be good stewards. You know that, right? Everything you have has been given to you by God. It's up to you how you use it. I just want to help you as the band come up just to give you a few kind of mistakes that I've made along the way. Just so you know, this is <laughs> mistakes Mark has made with regards to giving of generosity. That, that kind of made. Number one, I can't afford it slash I'm too busy. I've done this in my 20 years of being a Christian, of wrestling with finance and and giving and stuff. I have done this one. I can't afford it. I'm too busy. If you give from the beginning, from the the top, as they say, then you'll always have enough money to give. (laughs) If you put the thing in your diary and say, I'm going to serve in that area, I'm going to give my time to that, you will always have enough time to do that. Everything else will fit around it. It's kind of how that works, okay? I've learned that lesson. This one, particularly fun. I give financially, therefore I don't need to give my time. Or, I give my time, therefore I don't need to give financially. That's a fun one as well, isn't it? I've learned that one. I've done that in my head. I have said, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to give a, a few hours to the church, and therefore that means that I don't have to pay them so much money because actually I, pay, I, I actually earn quite a lot an hour and therefore they're getting my time and that's very valuable. <laughs> you missed the point. You missed the point. This is a heart deal. This is about worship. What you're saying is actually I just want to pay myself. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Or I don't need to give my time. I'm too important to that. I love the fact that I looked over there uh, this morning and, and last week. There was a, a doctor preparing the teas and coffees for us. <laughs> Do you hear what I said there? A, a doctor preparing the teas and coffees. For us. That, that's amazing. I know we've had head teachers do that. We've got people of crazy, ridiculously powerful jobs who serve in ways that you think, well, is that the best use of the time? Yes, it is. It's an act of worship. It's beautiful, and it's serving the family. This is one that I've made a mistake on. Working out the minimum that I have to give, and then working up to it. (laughs) That says so much about your heart. Just to say, I believe in tithing. So 10% we give to the church, and then we'll give over and above that to other things. So, you know, we did sponsor the kid in another place and do all that kind of stuff, and special offerings. So we'll give over and beyond that. So our our base giving is the 10% pre-tax for us. That's how we do that, but that's how that. In the past, I have not done that, and I've had to try and work my way up to that and go, oh, I've reached the minimum. Yes! No. 
in Acts 2, the people there were Jews. And so they would have been tithing, and yet they're still called generous. Generous hearts. What does that mean? They were giving over and beyond that. There is that thing. 10% is a starting place, not the end place. And the last reason is because I have to. Because somebody at the front told me to, because the Bible tells me to, and so I have to give because I have to. If you are giving because you have to, you've missed the point again. Paul actually talks about that being worthless. Gosh, I don't even know if it makes it into our bank account. I don't know what happens with that, if I'm honest. I I think there's something spiritually that happens there. It is not laying up treasures in heaven when you do that. So it's an act of worship where we come and we give generously. I thought just to challenge us, I thought we'd read that to finish with. (laughs) Just for fun. Okay? You don't necessarily need to mean it or something, but there's something in it. Even if you just say the last line, that's fine. There's something in that. So shall we stand? And then John's going to do an amazing job because he managed a meeting one of just connecting us into a worship song. So are we ready? So as we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favourable settlements, estates and inheritance, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs, that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay. (laughs)